Okay, yeah, we're gonna get go. started. <laughs> so welcome to the Coffee and Combos podcast where the best conversations happen over coffee. I'm your host, Alyssa, and I am so honored to be here with everybody here and our vendors, Provecho and Field Guide, and all of you here. And I'm really, really excited to welcome our special guest, Philip Esteban. He is everything. He's like a really dope chef here in San Diego. And one of his many accolades happened to be the R&D for Consorium Holdings. And he's also the founder, one of the founders of Open Gym. And he's just really cool. So I'm really stoked to be here with him and with you guys. And I hope you guys have a great time just kind of listening into our conversation. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, <laughs> just a little bit about myself. Uh, I, you know, born and raised here. I live here in North Park. Um, I work as the R&D chef for Consortium Holdings, which is research and development. So if you're not familiar with Consortium Holdings, we have born and raised, Ironside, Craft and Commerce, Underbelly, Soda Swine, Polite Provision, kind of that whole gambit, Raised by Wolves uh, being the newest one. Um, and being the R&D chef, I do anything from menu development, training, conceptual design, hiring. I mean, the fixer of things is my official title. Um, but yeah, awesome. so that's, uh, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so Philip, I would love to hear how you got into this industry and how you became a chef. Uh, how did I start? Mm -hmm. I think um, if we kind of go all the way back, I was always cooking with my grandmother since I was like four years old. And so I have photos of me baking in the kitchen, uh, chocolate and carrot cake, you know, of course. Rice Krispie treats are like, were my Those thing so as a four-year-old. Yeah. But um, then I just always cooked for my family. And when I went to college, I was always cooking for friends. And um, at, you know, being Filipino, being Asian, the typical was like, you know, become a nurse, become mm -hmm. a doctor, become whatever it is that they want you to become. And so I went along with it. They were like, you know, you could take over, you know, the family business, become a doctor, blah, 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 blah. So I was at UCSD um, in med school my first year. And I was like, fuck that. Sorry, kitchen language. <laughs> I'm a dirty sailor is, is the kitchen lingo. So um, we're into it. Yeah, okay. If you're into it, then I'm into it. So um, uh, I was like, I don't want to go to school for the rest of my life. So uh, at the time, my roommate, he was just like, I was cooking him dinner, of course. And he was just like, you should go to culinary school. This is what you should do. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a passion. It wasn't even something that I even thought about. And so I dropped out in June and went to culinary school in August. And it's been 15 years since then. 15 years? Yeah. That's awesome. What were some of the challenges that you've experienced, especially just like from your family choosing this like career path? Um, you know, there was just a lot of uh, expectation, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I think in the beginning, the first two years, no one really understood because uh, the hospitality industry is usually thought of as like, um, they're the help, you know? And so you're here, you know, you see it, diners go into a restaurant. They're just like, where's my water? Where's my food? Where's this? Like, we're, we're people too, you know? Yeah, and so, you know, things take time. But uh, it was like roughly, I just finished culinary school and 
I had my first sous chef job. Do you guys remember the guild in Barrio Logan? It was like way, way back. Maybe dating myself a little bit. But <laughs> um, it was ahead of its time. Uh, Paul Basil was the architect. He had a restaurant in Barrio Logan that he um, took his metal shop and cut it in half and then had like wow. a glass wall you could see into this metal shop. Yeah. And then we made the food on the other end. What? So it was pretty, it was pretty rad pretty at, at the time. And, you know, this was 2005, uh-huh. <laughs> something like that. And uh, to see like Ferraris and Lamborghinis there oh, in wow. Barrio at the time, like, that's you know, it's cool, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, cool. But it was then when my parents came into the restaurant and ate and actually could see the enjoyment Mm-hmm. You know, that I was doing something for myself versus for them. And after that, they were just, I've never heard anything That's awesome. but positive like support since then. Yeah, that's really cool. And you've had experience not only there, but and here in San Diego, but also in New York. I'd love to hear about your experience. Yeah. Um, so, at, well, at that point in San Diego, I just, I opened up the original Craft and Commerce um, back in 2007. And at that point, I kind of worked all over San Diego and I needed a change. So I kind of started staging. So in our industry, we have a term called stage. Um, everything comes from the French language. So it's spelt stage. But a stage is you go work somewhere for free mm-hmm. and you get free knowledge. So you kind of show up, you knock on the door with your knife bag and you're like, can I, can I work or do you need help? And so they usually make you do the most medial tasks. But... If you finish in time, then you could actually jump on the line and cook and do all mm-hmm. these things. So did that up and down the West Coast. At this point, I was in L.A. And I was already kind of getting stagnant. Uh, and so, you know, New York is kind of the pinnacle of the food scene right now. Or it, it was. Now it's L.A. now, oddly <laughs> enough. But, uh, you know, New York was like the the holy grail for me. So... It was like June 2000, sorry, January 2010. Mm -hmm. I just bought a one-way ticket and then just went. And so I was able to go work at Momofuku at the time. Um, After that, you know, you work 16-hour days uh, in the kitchen, at least Momofuku. 16-hour days. But the best thing is you do four days on, three days off. So the the four days you get to control your prep. No one else is like taking what you make. I control my destiny <laughs> in service. But um, then you get the three days off. And you, so you could go down to, you know, um, you know, Hideaway Park. You could go anywhere and really take a vacation. Mm-hmm. And so New York was a very big challenge, a very big culture shock. But it really shaped me to kind of the cook and chef I am today. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you taken a lot of that influence and incorporated it into what you're doing now for Consortium? Um, yeah, I think uh, so. I think the best thing about Momofuku was the idea of self-enrichment. You know, the more you educate, the more you teach someone, mm-hmm. the more, um, in, in a sense, indebted to the cause, to the, res- the restaurant. And so um, I don't know if people out there read Lucky Peach Magazine. It's a kind of culinary chef publication. So Lucky Peach literally translates, Momofuku literally translates into Lucky Peach. So Momofuku had an HR company called Papercut. Papercut created this publication uh, called Lucky Peach. 
and it was um it was basically attached to your paycheck it was like this little stub about like literally this size it was attached to your paycheck and on the front side it had birthdays anniversaries you know um knife sharpening classes kind of whatever information they want to disseminate to the to the group mm -hmm. and then on the back side was a calendar and the calendar had you know tuesday free sp free spanish class uh wednesday open kitchen uh thursday free french so they had all this educational um tools behind it and they just created so much information that it became the magazine mm -hmm. did i go <laughs> sorry yeah. i got distracted for a moment but that's awesome i really think what you're doing here in san diego and you're a part of creating a lot of the dishes that we know and love, I was talking to someone earlier about how much they love soda and swine and just like everything from like a little slider to as big as something at Born and Raised, I haven't been, but yeah. you have your hand in. I think that's awesome. I know a lot of people here and people who aren't here look up to you and really admire your role as a research and development chef. And what are the things that go into what you do? And what are some kind of like, what's, what's, like a, what's your routine like and what do you do? And just hearing about everything behind the scenes off mic and off air, like you are always busy and you're always working. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, I wanna start from the beginning. Like the R&D chef role was, wasn't really something in the picture to begin with. Um, at the time, I was the chef at this restaurant in Rancho Bernardo called uh, The Cork and Craft. And um, I just knew I needed to kind of move back to the greater San Diego area to have a bigger influence. And um, that's when I kind of reached out to Chef Jason McLeod um, about the opportunity to come back to Consortium Holdings. And um, over the course of, say, a year, you know, we met every now and then, had coffee, and, you know, truthfully, I thought I was going to become um, the chef of Born and Raised, Ironside, or Craft and Commerce at the time. But as, as we started to meet and it became closer, we started to meet once a month to every other week to every week for coffee and just kind of discussing uh, the position or the idea. Um, but it wasn't until the last month. So I started November 1st was my first day in CH of 2016. And um, so somewhere in October, he was like, I have a better, I have a, not a better, but I have a, a different uh, position for you. It's the research and development chef. And there's a lot of other great young talent in San Diego, but he was very clear on the idea that, um, that the one thing that I could probably cook just as good as all the other great young talents in San Diego but uh, I had a great thing with words and with people. Um, empathy was a really good uh, kind of, I guess, word that he used to kind of describe, um, you know, my relationship with staff. Mm -hmm. And so Consortium Holdings at the time, um, they were looking for more growth um, and they wanted to kind of transition Consortium um, from a hospitality group to, you know, whatever it is to where they wanted to go to in their dreams. And um, he was like, I want you to help with that. I want you to help with resetting structure and resetting company culture. And then after that, then we kind of develop the group as we go. And, um, you know, it's been two years now officially. 
And uh, it's pretty exciting to see everything come into fruition kind of right now. So we have chefs at every location. We have sous chefs. We have leads. They're, we're promoting from within. I think as a young talent, as a creative, whether it's design, music, or you always want your chance. You always want your opportunity. Mm-hmm. But the more you keep bringing in talent from outside, there's no room for that growth. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And something that you mentioned about empathy, I really love that. I love that you focus on you know caring about the people who are already within the company and giving them these opportunities and allowing them to grow versus, like you said, like hiring from the outside in. I think coming from a corporate um, job myself, I thought that that was always a challenge for me was I would have to compete with other people who wanted to be a part of the company and I could never grow. I was stuck there, I want to say stuck for about two and a half years and it was also a sign for me that I could take my talents elsewhere. Um, talking about empathy, sorry, I just like lost my, <laughs> lost my train of thought, but I would love to hear about kind of how you bring empathy and like your, your, your company culture and how you create this environment for your employees or the people you work with, I should yeah. say. Um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a tough thing. Like if you don't really practice it on a daily basis, if it's not something, not saying you can't grow into it, but there's a lot of chefs that kind of ask. They're just like, hey, what's, what's the model that you do to create company culture? What's the model? How do you do this? I've had coffee with numerous chefs and try and build it. And it is something that you really have to truly believe in. I mean, mm-hmm. the idea is, you know, I've been cooking 15 years and, you know, I still have my legs on me that I could still go into a kitchen every day and work. But the truth of the matter is that we have a greater cause, a greater meaning. And in... You know, I always tell my young cooks is that in 10, 15, 20 years from now, like I'm going to be the old chef that is on the sideline. And ideally, you will be the chef of the future and you'll be shaping what people eat and what people are doing, what's fun, what's cool, what techniques are out. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to respect the history, but respect the craft, respect the ingredients and respect the, the mentors that you've had over the years, because... We've all, this isn't something, our industry is one of the last few things you could kind of just go into and learn. Like you don't need a college degree. It's like a pirate ship. Everyone's walked different walks of life. There's, you know, you know, convicts to, you know, musicians to artists to wherever. They just love cooking, so they fall into it. Yeah. And then once you fall in, sometimes it becomes a passion. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, as long as you kind of understand that from kind of a a human nature that look we're just trying to learn and like you're trying to get to a goal yeah and i will help you get there because maybe in 15 years i haven't seen everything but there's definitely some things i have yeah yeah so that is awesome i love it um something that i do want to talk about is open gym you guys hosted a pretty awesome event this past week and I'd love to hear your involvement and what that means for what you're creating here in San Diego. Because I think it's a pretty neat platform that Jam had also mentioned in a previous podcast. But um, I'd love to hear your perspective and kind of like what you guys want to create ultimately. Um, so I guess starting from the beginning with that, like Open Gym didn't really come on board until the name of it didn't come on board until maybe two, three months later. Um, but the 
it started off with crafted. It was like this dinner slash conversation piece um, surrounding people at a table from different walks of life. I think if you're from San Diego and you only work in San Diego, you're kind of pigeonholed because if coming from a chef world, you, you recycle the things that you know. Mm-hmm. And so everyone in San Diego cooks the same. So if you're only from here, if you've only worked in the same kitchens and then you open up your own restaurant, guess what you're cooking? You're cooking the same shit as everyone else. So you kind of need to travel. You need to experience kind of different walks of life, different techniques, hence working for a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the same thing with any other creative industry. Um, so it, it, Open Gym started off as a, a platform to kind of cross-pollinate industries. You know, usually you kind of hang out with the same people. I know right. I hang out with a lot of chefs a lot of bartenders, a lot of whoever it is in in my industry. Um, But the idea was to cross-pollinate that maybe someone from, you know, a a marketing uh, background or a digital background or whatever it is that we could still help each other and we could still help this community grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Crafted initially started. Um, But uh, my friend Jam right here uh, slid into the DMs back in (laughs) June. And... uh, (laughs) He, um, he was like, hey, do you, you want to grab coffee sometime? And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm available. <laughs> so we met for coffee, and he kind of spoke about this idea of crafted, mm-hmm. uh, which it, you know, it definitely flourished, and we're kind of going through that right now. Um, but as over time, our friend Lee Jay came on board. Um, if you don't know Lee Jay, he's, he's a talent manager. He was... Um, he started Kaaba Modern, if you're into the urban dance community. Or he was part of the original Kaaba Modern. Uh, he became a town manager and managed the Jabawakis, the Kinjas, and Keone Mari Madrid. Um, uh, he has a lot of accolades, but we won't go into that. Erwin uh, Hines, he's the creative director for uh, Basic Agency. Um, they're working on kind of reshaping Google right now. Um, so it just started off as coffee and convos dropping it um and we were just kind of chatting and it just became a place where we were i was kind of going through a place uh, a transition as well of like um how do i find more creativity in my life and how do i find inspiration outside of food and how and so um it's it really just started as that and open gym just became a the the moniker for it because mm-hmm. uh it's the idea of just people it's an open gym you could come in anytime you could work out ideas you could work out creative thoughts and there's no prejudgment to it i mean even some friends this morning were like yo phil let's go play basketball at muni it's an open gym i'm like yeah dude i get it makes sense <laughs> uh and so it that just became the moniker for right. what we're trying to do um and basically trying to create more um, transitional experiences mm-hmm. um, versus like transactional like versus you know like relationships wise like people come in and you're like I'm here for this you know I'm here I want to buy this here's your money exchange transactional buy uh, versus you know transitional like creating something creating something more meaningful you know deeper connection right. and, uh, and those relationships take time and you have Absolutely. to build that just like someone that you love people in your in your world you have to you have to work at it mm-hmm. and so 
over the last few months, it's been a unique experience. There's a lot of uh, progression in terms of what I hope to accomplish and create in my career. And I think equally for other people at the table. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's open to everyone. It's not just like the four of us. It's whoever wants to show up. It's like it's out there. Mm-hmm. And we just have coffee and talk about random stuff. <laughs> a lot of jokes, <laughs> but you know, it is. Yeah. I love that. I love that. For those who don't know or who may be familiar with Crafted, um, we had the pleasure of attending one. Ian and I were able to attend the one in August, and it was this beautiful table that was just set up with delicious food from a local chef, and it was a great experience. I think it's so important, kind of like what he mentioned, is creating a space for people of all walks of life to really understand one another, appreciate one another, and kind of like develop that sense of empathy towards one another. Um, The Beyond Babel team was like pretty much took up like two of the tables and it was great because I I'm personally am not familiar with the dance scene or didn't wasn't really familiar with that concept of what they're trying to create but because of that I was able to attend Beyond Babel and really experience what it is that they're creating and recommend it to a ton of my friends who've gone already and spoke highly of it and I love that it's just kind of introducing these little things inviting people to have a seat at the table and also have an open gym and I think just like little things like this even you know you guys took out time on your Sunday to be here and have coffee and convos with us and I really appreciate it and you know just kind of going into how you expanded outside of maybe your chef friends and your bartender friends. Yeah. Was it was it difficult to kind of like reach out to people? I feel like a lot of people kind of get intimidated when reaching out like for outreach or maybe like some t- sort of intrigue. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, just on that, Jam was, I asked him like, he mentioned at some point over the last couple of months that like he was kind of nervous to message. And I was like, why? Just, I don't. It's okay, <laughs> but w- whatever the reason is, um, you know, I I think that just the whatever is it that you're doing or the the understanding of it is where the fear comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, like not to get like super deep, but when it's when it's something vulnerable, so something that you want to share, it's vulnerable, and then you cover it with anger because you're trying to protect it. You're trying to protect the idea of like what it is you're doing or what it is that you're feeling, whether it's anger, hate, that vulnerability scares you. Mm-hmm. So it comes up with, you protect it. Yeah. And that's what happens. So a lot of people kind of have this fear of like, should I say something or can I ask this? Yeah. You know, wh- whatever it is. And so understanding that and then being able to get past that barrier, I think is the big part. Um, but the idea of open gym and even just crafted and basic agency as a whole, um, it's the idea is to shape culture and there's only there's very few things that shape culture these days social media kills it all these other things kill it right now but you know food is one coffee um dance like all these other things that are just kind of rooted uh within humanity and mm-hmm. i think that really helps shape culture so you find you kind of have to work backwards so from culture to community and if you if you kind of build that community around yourself you really start to really develop things mm-hmm what are some ways that you're shaping culture? Um, well, I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> if you guys know Consortium Holdings, um, Consortium Holdings to me is like it's, it has its own little subculture because there's like 700 employees. We have 13 restaurants or 14. We have 10 more in the works over the next five years. 
And so how do you, how do you influence a staff or a group of people that big and how do you capture their attention? And so, I mean, it's a, I'm constantly learning. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly like developing and growing from that. Um, and it changes, but you know, at the end of the day, I really just kind of um, follow things that really inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, and open gym is really, I didn't have, not that I didn't have a voice for it, but I didn't have a, a correct uh, like platform that I felt that could express the way I wanted to represent certain things, whether it was being a Filipino in this community and cooking mm-hmm. to how do I find my voice in consortium holdings where, you know, there's, you know, 13 locations, eight restaurants, each one has their own chef. How do I effectively communicate with each chef and their staff? Because if you're a chef of a location, that's technically your staff, not mine. But how do I not step on your toes to communicate with them, but be in line with what the company goals are? Right. So it's, uh, I think the big thing that we're learning right now is the critical thinking mm-hmm. of it all. And like, how do you, I don't think there's ever just like one answer to it. I think you evolve with each situation. Again, it goes back to empathy. Like the way I talk with one chef is not the way I would talk with another. And the way I talk with another cook is not the way I would talk with the dishwasher, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we all come from different walks of life and and finding that common ground is the the most effective way to communicate with someone. Like I have a, you know, friends that are just sarcastic all the time i'm like dude that's that works with me but it doesn't work with everyone else in the company yeah you know so you just you just have to find a way to effectively communicate with other people Mm -hmm. absolutely i love that i would love to hear kind of like what what how you were saying that you grow within your industry and kind of maybe tease some people about what's happening yeah. with Consortium Holdings and what you're going to create with that. Sorry, I kind of lost the question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of let the audience know kind of like what to expect from you and Consortium Holdings. Uh, I guess the, the next, yeah, there's not that it's very taboo to kind of like share the ideas. I mean, it's out there, but um, we have, you know, six openings, uh, sorry, three openings in the next six months. So the, the next opening is, um, is our breakfast spot in Little Italy. It's called, uh, well, I want to share, the initial name was going to be called Morning Wood. Um, <laughs> but it was a little, like half the owners were like, it's a little too much. The other owners were like, this is perfect. This is who we are as a group. Um, <laughs> but they settled with uh, Morning Glory, which is probably like the second best thing you could go with. Um, and so that is opening, I think, uh, mid-January to late January. It was slated for January 2nd, but, mm. you know, things happen. Totally. Uh, Born and Raised was eight months behind schedule, so it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I think the next one will be the Intercontinental Hotel in uh, Seaport Village. So we're doing a rooftop uh, restaurant that's like an Italian spot. I don't, we don't have a name yet. Um, and then the third in six months will be uh, soda and swine at Porter's Pub in UCSD. So it's kind of perfect. You know, the <laughs> price point's good for college students, liquor, events, shows, you know. Yeah, I so, love that. 
um, yeah, that's what we have going on. And I think the next, the next kind of transition for my role is kind of a, a deeper educational um, position. So we're, we're, one of the steps is we're kind of creating a kind of a library in CH. So we're, we're making like this dope library card. Uh, we're buying all these culinary books, leadership, oh, cool. wine, beer, cocktails, whatever. And in, the, in our home office, it'll be kind of a library. And you could check out books, you could check out whatever. And we'll have classes there, educational, uh, whether it's um, leadership, uh, time management, um, you know, reading a P&L, uh, uh, you know, product and loss. It's like this, it's this sheet that shows you what your numbers were for mm -hmm. the year and previous years and how can you build towards targeting. It's, yeah, it's a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. But again, it's, it's one of those things that people don't really think about as being a cook. You're mm -hmm. just like, I just want to be the best fucking cook I could be. Right. And then you cook, and then you you end up getting a restaurant, a chef gig. You're running this spot, but they don't realize that being a chef is running a business. Mm. Being a chef doesn't... Being a chef, you have the title, is that you could already cook. So the assumption is you can cook. Right. Can you run a business mm. is the question of being a chef. And that's where the educational piece comes in that, like, we want to get you to your next transition to yeah. your next goal and like we're going to teach you technique and cooking and all this shit but you if your goal is to open up a restaurant in five years like we'll help you and that's the whole point is that we're we want to set the bar not just for our group but like it's gonna with expansion with growth right. we need to develop from within so we could properly staff our own our own places that's so exciting I'm yeah, really so. excited. Morning Glory sounds amazing. I'm a huge like brunch lover myself. Um, but I would love to hear more about... I remember we talked about this maybe a week or so ago, but the importance of mental health in your industry. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a, a tough subject. If, you're a, uh, if you love food, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that like, likes the terms foodie or anything like that. If you just love food, you love food. But if you've seen it, there's a lot of pressure in our industry. I would say 15 years ago when I started cooking, you could kind of walk up and down the street and you could find a good cook anywhere. Um, if, if you talk about, you know, cooks these days, it's, it's very slim. So you're kind of like, it's a revolving door of what's happening right now. And so uh, mental health is a big part of it because the pressures like let's say let's say you're a consumer at a restaurant like you don't you pay for food say i, I order this fucking this uh sorry no you're good i order you're these good. uh <laughs> you, i order this burger and you pay at that point you're just waiting you're waiting 10 minutes but on our end or on our end we're, we're trying to cook it you know and the thing is that it usually takes your your mind mentally thinks double so if it takes 10 minutes you're automatically thinking damn, I've been waiting for 20 minutes. Where the fuck is my food? You know, like <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get my water yet. Um, so what, what normally happens, like there's just so much pressure. The demand is really high. And um, it goes kind of back to the critical thinking and like how do you problem solve and how do you get a kitchen moving? Mm -hmm. um, I was just talking with Jam about this earlier is that being a chef is like, if we had to bring it to an analogy, if there is a restaurant, an executive chef is what moves restaurants forward. 
they're the driving power of inspiration, technique, ideas, or whatever it is. And so if there isn't one, a kitchen is just chaos. Like you never see that, it's behind the curtains. So like ticket times, you don't know if like, fuck, I didn't, I didn't have the burger patties ready, so they're making it by hand. Well, we didn't grind it yet, chef, so now they're chopping it by hand. And so you don't see these things going on behind the curtain. Um, but a quarter, like a chef is like a quarterback. If you take it as a football team, they're the one that like, you know, kind of calls the play. And then after that does like the check downs and then they read, they read everything. The defense kind of being the consumer base, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but they're, they're going down through their progressions. They're like, this is the ticket. This is what we need to push forward. This is what's coming in. So you go down through your progression, you hit your check downs and then you're in. You know, and so mm -hmm. it, it's if you use that as an analogy, like a chef is very, in, very important to the development and the training of a staff and then kind of pushing them forward. Yeah. And so I kind of lost track of where we were going with that. But <laughs> mental health is yeah. that there's when there isn't that when there isn't a good leader in place, then you're lost because you're there to learn something, but you're not. Now it just becomes mundane. I'm showing up every day. I'm cutting, chopping. You become a cutter and chopper is what we say. And you're just there, you know, doing the same motion over and over and over. And you don't realize why you're doing it. And whatever it is, like you don't make enough money. You don't, you don't get to see your family. You don't get to see, you don't get to do all these other things. Mm -hmm. And you kind of start getting depressed. And so um, you see important figures. Some like a chef just win you know, chef of the world, you know, and then three months later they commit suicide, you know, and then that's, that's happened five times this year already, you know, and you see Anthony Bourdain commit suicide. You see all these other people. I mean, I, I had a cook with me. So when I was at Ranch Bernardo, I had a cook with me for the three years I was there. I could tell there was already something off about him, but most of the times you just need someone that will hear you out that will listen to you, that will support you. And so when he was, you know, he was, there was other cooks that would have a bad time and I would, I would lace them up pretty bad. But when, when he would mess up, that wouldn't be my approach, you know? So I would not necessarily coddle him, but I would help him that, hey, I'm here and I will help you get through this. And so it, it became even just stuff in the kitchen and outside the kitchen. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was with me for three years he came with us to Consortium Holdings, and he was, uh, um, he worked with me for another year, um, and he did extremely well. And he got to a point where he wanted to kind of, most cooks are just like, I want to kind of leave your shadow and see that whatever I learned, I could actually implement. Right. So he was like, Chef, I'm ready to leave. I got this other job offer. I want to go full time there. And I was like, look, if I just want to be clear, like, it's very different in the kitchen. They won't care about what is going on with you. They just want the food done. He just said, I, you know, I felt that I was there mentally, that I'm ready to do this. So he did. Um, but a few months later, he committed suicide. And uh, it, was very, it was a very tough thing because I'm very, I was very close to him. I was very close to his cousin. We grew up in the same area. You know, I, I went to Morris High School, graduated. Um, aging myself 2000 um, <laughs> but he he went to Morris and graduated 2012 and I had four generations of Morris high school grads that eventually worked for me at the same time that was like 
pretty cool to see that these generational gaps that you could still influence. But um, like I said it was a hard time and mental health is a, a very big thing and kind of um, protecting your energy mm -hmm. in terms of that. Like being cordial and being friendly with a lot of people and allowing people into your world is, is definitely good because it helps shape you. But knowing yourself and protecting that energy that is you, I think is just as important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What are some ways that you personally incorporate health, like not health care, uh, <laughs> um, taking care yeah. of yourself? Well, we so were just talking about that. I mm -hmm. think uh, like before everyone showed up, we were talking about it. And, you know, we all like you have a routine. And so my routine when I first get up is the first thing is always make my bed. You know, I, I grew up in a military family. I was in R JRTC, I was in ROTC, so I was, I was all military, Army, Navy, kind of whatever. Um, and the first thing is like making your bed. You know, I don't like tuck it in and make it crisp in a 90 degree angle, but it looks like decent, you know? <laughs> and so the idea behind that is that even if you don't accomplish something in your day, that you did do that. Mm -hmm. And so it, it makes that, it makes your day meaningful. Um, and then the next things are, it's really just kind of based on yourself, but I try and read for X amount of time. So I'll try and read at least for 20 minutes or a chapter. Um, and then like, I don't do yoga, but I stretch, whatever that means. Like <laughs> I've never taken a class, but um, I just try and like, Move. like you're standing in a kitchen for 16 hours a day, like y your feet, like I've never been to a chiropractor in my whole life. But the last year I've been going every week, every week, like it's, <laughs> it's strenuous on your, on your body. So like I stretch, work out a little bit, uh, whether it's like riding a bike or like in-house, like weights or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I go with my day. And so I want to try and like put in a little bit more time for meditation. But every time I sit there and like, it's quiet, I, my mind, it does opposite. So <laughs> it's not working for me right now. No. Yeah. Meditation is hard. Yeah. I definitely. Um, something I like to do is just like sit in silence and it is letting those thoughts in, but also kind of like what you're doing earlier. Um, like you wrote your thoughts down in a notebook. So you're just like, okay, yeah. you're going to stay here yeah. until I could think about you again later. Yeah. And I think um, that was it. She was, I was like writing a book. This is probably like 1130. Mm -hmm. I was writing notes in there and she was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You know? And I explained it later that, um, when you have like a lot going on and I'll for, like, I'll have like a really great idea and then I'll like run to the kitchen and I'll forget like mm. on the way. And so I've gone to a habit of just like writing it down. That way I could just kind of release it and just get back to it later. It works in the kitchen too when something's going wrong and a cook is like hella fucking up. And I'm just like, hey, I'm acknowledging that you're messing up right now. We're gonna talk about it later. And then, <laughs> and then I leave. And then uh, oh, that way it's like you just kind of move on from it. Yeah. Because most chefs will be like, let me throw the saute pan at you type of deal or <laughs> yell at you when it's like, hey, man, that, I saw you do that. We're going to talk about that later. I addressed it. I could have time to think about it and go walk away and not just talk out yeah. of my ass. And then, uh, and then we talk like privately later on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do people get often intimidated by you? No, in the kitchen, no. no. There, I mean, I think they just, they, they naturally gravitate, which is a good thing. Um, but intimidation, like it's, I mean, I don't know. They never say anything, but no. it's more so um, like a lot of, when I go speak at culinary schools, like my old culinary school, 
I go speak once a month to kind of the new graduating class. And it's very different from when I went to school versus now. Mm. Like when I started culinary school, I was working three months prior. You know, oh, then wow. when I speak to them in school now, they're like, this is the graduating class and none of them are working. Mm. You know, and then a lot of people are like, oh, I just want, I want your job. And I'm like, dude, you don't want my job. Like, you know, it's not that it's a, a negative connotation, but mm -hmm. um, your goal should be to be the best cook. Right. And that's just it. It's a learning technique, learning these. Not because what are you going to R&D? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to teach someone if you're just out of culinary school? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. That's really, really cool. Well, I'd love to hear more because you actually get to travel pretty often for your work. So I'd love to hear more about your travel experiences and how you incorporate all of that into. Um, yeah, it's uh, life. I think, yeah, it's tough. I mean. It's good and bad. Um, there's um, this level of now at this point in my career, you know, my industry is one of the few things you could take it with you anywhere in the world and it, it translates over because it's a universal language. Everyone needs to eat, right? Like you could go to Costa Rica, you could go to Japan, you could go wherever else in the world and you have to eat. Mm -hmm. So as long as you know how to cook, I mean, technically you have a job forever. Right. Learning language is the second thing. But, you know, um, but at this point in my career, I've been able to network and connect with a lot of different um, cooks and chefs. And if you kind of look at where I'm at in my career, a lot of the people that I kind of started with, they're in that same level, too. Mm -hmm. So they're opening up their own restaurants. They're winning James Beard, uh, Michelin stars. And so they're all over the world. And so it's pretty cool, the idea that you could kind of travel somewhere now and you know someone, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. um, and with that being said, they, they um, vice versa, we fly them out to San Diego and we do a dinner here in San Diego, usually at, at Ironside. Uh, but we have kind of guest chef appearances and vice versa, they fly me out to wherever it needs to go. And I think um, being able to use the the relationships that you've built to um to kind of help yourself grow too you know like uh one of my really great friends uh jesse houston he's originally from dallas i want to say but he lives in jackson mississippi um but over the last three years um he flew me out to jackson three years ago we did a pop-up dinner as, at his restaurant um last year he flew me out to Tulum, Mexico, because uh, Noma was there doing a pop-up. And so the deal was like, the, di the Noma dinner, the Noma dinner was like 750 US dollars. But he's like, do a pop-up dinner with me and we'll go to Noma and eat. So it was like a good trade-off. So I spent a week in Tulum. Uh, we went down, um, it's a pretty funny story. So we were pretty hungover. And we were going on this jungle tour of the, the Yucatan Peninsula. So if you're very familiar with um, the Caribbean, the, the Yucatan's under, like a foot down is a limestone bedrock. Um, so water or vegetation doesn't grow. So you have to import water there to survive. And so um, again, we, we planned this jungle tour uh, into the, <laughs> like into the thick of it to learn about the history of, of the Yucatan and um, again we were pretty hungover. The, the our guide that picked us up was like the jungle heals all 
And I was like, no shit. You know? So <laughs> we go in there and we're walking and like instantly like cured of everything. We're like, these ants were, were eating, um, eating off of the cinnamon tree. And so all the ants tasted like cinnamon. So we like took those and we were like use them for a dish. So there was like oh, all this wow. inspiration. Yeah. Then oddly enough, as soon as we walked out of the jungle, I was hung over again. But, uh, um, you know, and then this year he brought us back to Jackson, Mississippi, because um, he uh, he is opening up a new restaurant called Fine and Dandy. It's mm, kind of a burger cool. restaurant. Um, so he flew us out there to do a dinner one day. And then the second day we were we did a fundraiser at a local children's hospital. Um, yeah. And so it. it definitely allows room for travel mm -hmm. atlanta i was just recently yeah. there um and it's cool it's just to be exposed to it and to see these techniques and see these ideas um and that's what kind of shapes kind of the way you cook and so like this year one of my favorite dishes was like this um it's a dry aged beef uh from born and raised and it's so i make a tartare with it but i use um peppers uh red peppers um, Fresno, Guajillo, like a bunch of different fresh red peppers and you char them, um, peel off the skin and I make a relish from it. Uh, then I take the dried skins and make an oil. So oh, it's wow. like nice and smoked. Um, then you turn that into a vinaigrette. You mix that into the tartare, has like an egg yolk puree, um, all smoked almonds, whatever. But that it was really inspired really from that good. trip in Mexico yeah. two years ago. And so you find these like moments in your life and it's tough to be kind of in the moment um my dude lee j over there is very good at being in the moments i see him with the shades back there <laughs> who's that guy <laughs> but um he really helped us like you know you go on a trip and you're there and it's not till after the trip you kind of like reflect but how do you be in the moment and just be like hey like let me appreciate what's going on right now mm -hmm. and you write down the ideas, you write down the experiences, and then, then you can move on. I love that. But travel's yeah. good. Travel's good for a chef or a cook, no matter what. And for anybody else. Yeah, anyone yeah. else too, but <laughs> it really helps like our industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, we're pretty much close to wrapping up before we enter our Q&A with you, but um, I would love to hear some advice for aspiring chefs and just creatives who you know, need some inspiration. What's your piece of advice for them? Um, no, that's a tough one. It's because there's always a lot, but I think something that I that I learned from my career and just in life, like things don't happen overnight. And like I said, when I first started cooking, it wasn't really, it wasn't a passion, mm -hmm. and it wasn't so, like it was something I liked. It was something that I enjoyed doing. That you know, I, I could do it for a living. But if you know our, our chef world and the industry world, it's you make minimum wage, you know, so it's not like conducive to a lifestyle, to a family lifestyle, to anything. Um, but if you put forth the like the, the energy and the respect and the dedication to it, it grows into this passion and it provides all like, I mean, no matter as no matter how hard days get and how difficult um, some situations arise mm -hmm. there's always someone that's been there and there's always mentors i think that's where i was going to lead to is that there's always someone that's that has done what you've done mm -hmm. and so don't be afraid to ask them for help or for advice 
or for anything. Yeah. I think it's very key. Um, one of my biggest reasons to come back to Consortium was to have a mentor, and that's you know Chef Jason McLeod, and he's been cooking 40 years. He's attained two Michelin stars in Chicago, and to to have someone like that, like I could cook whatever dish I that I know how, but in terms of leadership, it wasn't for him. He really wouldn't help shape kind of what's happened over the last two years. Yeah. So finding a mentor and seeing it through is number one. I love that. And one last question from me. If you could have coffee and convos with anybody in the world, who would it be? Uh, well, probably right now. I mean, there's a lot. But I'm just going to go off the top of my head is, um, is Anthony Bourdain. Um, I was a young cook uh, reading his book in culinary school. I went to his stand-up comedy, hilarious, got my book signed. You know, I'm sure we all followed his show. He was probably mm-hmm. as, as real as it gets. Yeah. And um, it was too soon. So I, I would just love to pick his brain. I love it. All right, everybody, we are now moving on to the Q&A of this live podcast with Philip. So I'm so excited to ask him all of your questions. Thank you all for writing them down. And I'm really excited. So here we go. Okay, the first question for Philip is, what do you think is missing in the San Diego food scene? Um, actually, it's, that's a good question because I just had this conversation this past Wednesday. But I think, uh, I think what's really missing is a, a real food critic. Um, you know, as harsh as that could sound, um, New, uh, New York has Pete Wells and LA had Jonathan Gold before his passing as well. And um, they were unapologetic, if you could say. Like, look, if so, San Diego has a way of you support your friends, but the, the tough thing is that when it's actually not good, you know, like, there's like this falsehood of like supporting something like because you want growth and and so you want things to get better and you want things techniques to get better running a restaurant or a business better or whatever it is and there's this falsehood of like in san diego that everything is just great it's that's not true though and there's someone that needs to be real a real critic that could just say we were outside just talking about it right now and pete wells wrote this article it was after I left New York. He wrote this article about Nashiki that David Chang just opened. If you haven't read the article yet in New York Times, he basically rips him apart. Um, and you know, P. Wells also famously took away a star from um, Per Se and Thomas Keller. That was a big hoopla like two years ago. But the the reality of like not everything is great, mm-hmm. and um, a real writer will write a review and then actually have the chef or the business owner read it, and then they'll talk about it, and then they'll publish it. Most modern days, because of social media and Yelp, they'll just post a review, Mm -hmm. and that's not fair. But so David Chang sat down, and he read the article, and he was upset, and David Chang was like, like, if you you publish this, it's going to hurt us. And then David Chang just wrote, that's the life you chose. And so that's like the last paragraph in the article that he wrote. And we don't have that in San Diego because everything is just, it's San Diego. Every, the weather's great. The, the food scene is great. All the beer is great. Everything is just great. And so 
Do I think the consumer base is ready for that harsh reality? I don't think so, let alone business owners. But that is what, that's what the food scene needs. Because way, that way it'll, like not in a bad way, but it's kind of weeding out that shouldn't be there and raising opportunity for the ones that should mm -hmm. and giving light to the ones that are doing it right. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, your next question is, you mentioned feeling stagnant in San Diego and LA, which prompted your travels. What is the determining factor, if any, in deciding to make a big change? How do you realize that you're not stagnant or that you're stagnant? Um, well, I, I don't know. Like, I think, um, I don't know, for me, again, I'm not speaking for everyone, but like when I'm always looking for personal growth, whether it's... Um, I mean, it could be anything. It could be my cooking. It could be inspiration. It could be health. It could be whatever it is that, like, I'm focusing on at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, being able to kind of, like, ground yourself in a sense, like, there's a lot. There's Sometimes there's a lot going on. And the best way for me to kind of, like, ground myself is I literally sit in a chair and, like, it, you know, it's, it's sensory. Like, I will literally, like, put my hands, like, on the chair and like just ground myself and allow things to slow down mm -hmm. as much as like as much as it could and I'll really think about the things that are important to me and once I actually figure that out then I know what I need and then in a sense I'm also relentless in that way like the, the only things that will actually like move me forward are the things that I'll go after mm -hmm. so it's like I don't fuck with a lot of things but when I do it's because I care <laughs> there you go yeah Sweet. I hope that answers somebody's question about what keeps you grounded as well. Because literally someone asked what keeps you grounded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question for you is, what's your favorite whiskey of choice to fill your flask? Uh, Pun intended. <laughs> Pun intended. I kind of could guess who that's from. But uh, Yamazaki 12. I'm a huge fan of Japanese whiskey. But Yamazaki and the 12 years like, is my jam jam. <laughs> <laughs> dropping his name all day <laughs> I love it um, what's your favorite road or destination to ride your bike to uh, right now it's I don't know I, I just ride whatever road will take me wherever I want to go I usually try and change that up because if you're riding the same route you get bored like just kind of seeing things like okay here comes this next house and then as I'm going I'm like okay I know this is my next goal mm -hmm. so i try and change it up uh, but it's really there's this chef cycle called no kids go hungry and so you ride from santa rosa and you ride for three days straight 100 miles each day and it's a fundraiser to um, help no kids go hungry um, i'm a big proponent in community work and so like like i'm stuck in my ways we're all probably stuck in our ways we like what we like but in order to kind of change and shape the way that we are in the future is you got to get the youth so no kids go hungry kids in middle school high school whatever like as soon as they go home sometimes whatever their situation is maybe their parents aren't there and in order to you know do your homework and study you have to have fuel which is food and so the idea is to providing children that maybe don't have a backpack maybe don't have a thing but we basically provide them food over the course of the year so they could eat and yeah. That's really cool. Cycling. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one last question. How do you envision the impact of your work shaping the local and global community, whether it's with culinary, Filipino, fashion, etc.? Um, that's also kind of a, a very broad thing. Like, my focus is never, like, I, I want to attain this thing, or mm-hmm. whether it's like, I just, I do it because I want to, and if there is an impact, is that, you know, my measurement as a chef is of my success isn't from what I do. There's maybe you cook a thousand dishes in your life. You'll only be remembered for like a few of them, maybe like a hundred of those dishes that are that impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, but where my real success will be is from my cooks. Like if 10 years from now, if 15 years from now, some young cook, you know, like let's say, uh, you know, her name is Christine. Like, she's a cook of mine. Like, if 15 years from now, she becomes a chef mm-hmm. and she's making impact, then that's success to me. Because, you know, like, I'm, I don't feel like, like, I'm sure I'm judged by what I do, but I judge myself on what happens in the future. And so as long as I could have an impact on her or anyone else that works for me, and in 10, 15 years from now, they're shaping the future of food, I mean, that's huge. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Does anyone else have any other questions before we finish? Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. Oh, and thank you. There's one oh, right there. Just kidding, LV. I didn't get a chance to write one, but um, what are your thoughts of, about competition? You know, there's, there's like negative views in it and then there's positive views about it. Uh, do you have a someone that in a way you compete with? And is that a healthy thing or not a healthy? Um, in my industry, I think it is healthy. It's a very, because our industry is very cutthroat and you have to have thick skin because you could have just X person, like you could say, I'm going to open up a restaurant. I'm putting my whole life life saving for my family, for everything. And I'm going to open up this restaurant and you, you do it. And that's great. And then some person walks in and writes and they Yelp review and they just rip it apart. I mean it's it, you get attacked very personal to that because you're like dude that's my dish you know that's what i i put my heart and soul into this food this restaurant or whatever it is that you do and so competition is good it's it allows you to make to have thicker skin to like just kind of like you know like a wet rock like just let it wash right off um and there are a lot of like you could say those other competitions like like chopped and top chef and and then you go into like james beard the only thing about those things like they're all subjective i think but the importance is is that as a chef or as a business operator you know how to use it mm-hmm. let's say you win a james beard or you win a, a michelin for your restaurant it doesn't make your food better but it makes people think that it's better so you have to be able to use that to make your business better mm. so as long as you understand that then you'll be fine. You could do whatever. I just chopped and top chef are ones that like are okay to me. The other ones are like kind of a little weird. Like who rides a tricycle holding, wearing boxing gloves, chopping onions? <laughs> like what the fuck? You know? So um, those competitions are like whatever. But in-house, even consortium, we have uh, competitions every week or every other week. Like our next one is a dessert competition. Ooh. So we open up to everyone in our whole company, um, you know, kitchen and from the house, and you just make your best dishes. 
and there's a big finale at the end of the year and you know they win this whole grandeur thing but it's really just to kind of test where you're at because i remember when i first made my first dish i mean it was at culinary level culinary school level and i was like what did i do you know <laughs> i love it well yeah. thank you all for being here and thank you so much philip i would like to let everybody know or if you want to let everybody know how to like keep up with you follow you on social media and uh yeah so um <laughs> obviously if you follow ch we're like obviously all through there uh philip uh, esteban on instagram two l's um other than that open gym sd yeah cheers everyone thanks for everyone for yeah. coming out Thank um you. Uh, did I didn't. Uh, I didn't get a chance to meet everyone. So, um, if I would love to shake all your hands and meet everyone at some point, so please do so. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you did it. Sweet. Thank you.